So what we have now in Hebrews 11, as we get to the rest of the story, the author here is moving in on a different topic, and he doesn't want to leave us just hanging on what most of the story is, but he wants to give us the rest of us, uh, this, this story. Um, not every day is a victory for us, is it? And so therefore, we can relate to these individuals because not every day was um, a victory for them either. But we know that we have battles and struggles and we have victories and we, we conquer all day long, but not always does it look that, that way. And nobody likes to read about accounts that seem to be negative and such, but um, of course, in many churches today and many ministers and pastors will only teach half of what the story is about and not what that complete story is. And we uh, see that in Hebrews, as the writer wrote to these people, they paid a price. These people that were written to paid quite a price of their, their faith. Of course, there are many here that are not of true faith and the writer's then introducing them to come all the way over to Christ. To trust Christ all the way. But we're speaking about the whole counsel of God. And so the Hebrew writer wants to make sure and impress them upon their hearts that the rest of the story is here. And so he gives it. Why don't we uh, grab our Bibles and... Let's turn to Hebrews 11 as we read the final portion that we're going to cover in this great hall of faith, as we call it. You know, we've gone down the hall and we come to the end of the hall now. <laughs> and it's been summing up the Old Testament, hasn't it? We've come from the family of Adam and now gone through the prophets and we're all the way really up to the New Testament. We got the Old Testament in just a matter of weeks, didn't we? ha, <laughs> ha. Let's read, starting in verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Father, we thank You for this precious Word. May it speak to our hearts today as we understand a little bit further of what true faith is. And we get that whole counsel of biblical faith. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we have come a long way and such a great chapter. Uh, we kind of took time off between books to go to a sterling silver, I guess you could say chapter of the Bible. How about like a diamond? And there are other chapters like that. Sometimes it makes me wonder if we could take another chapter and just kind of glean out some things of that before we go into another book. I know uh, 
were leading up to the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And that's Reformation Week. And then Reformation Sunday is the last day of this month. So we're working that way. So who knows what we'll work in as we, uh, as we uh, think about this time. Anyway, we will uh, look at this idea of faith again one more time here. Some people triumph in faith. And it's seen obvious. Of course, you think of uh, other ones. We, we looked at Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and some of those heroes of the faith last week. Some of the things that they did which were mighty incredible, only as God that was working in them, they were just obedient to that. So, a lot of good things came out of that shining. And what we'll look at here... The first one in verse 35 really is another shining example of victory. Women received back their dead by resurrection. There's their trials. Trials that come our way. And God doesn't always operate in the exact same way that He has operated with somebody else or the way that He's operated with us before. If He's done it one way, we always expect Him to do it the same way. God is a God of variety. You ever notice that? I think it's awesome. Because you know, you go out in nature and you look at all the different uh, plants, flowers. Uh, you look at the birds. Uh, you, you know, they're all different. They have different sounds the birds do, the animals. And it just opens up. You can say, my, isn't God amazing that He'd do this? And all the colors that we have. You look at His creation and it's just phenomenal. I am glad that He's not a black and white God. Wouldn't that be awful? We'd sit in here and all we'd wear, and we all wear the same clothes, and we'd all eat the same foods, and and I mean it goes on and on and on. Everybody's different. We enjoy different things, and and as time goes on, we learn to appreciate other different things that we didn't think was so enjoyable before. And uh, that's the beauty of getting older, trying to look at the bright side of that, right? <laughs> but you know, we would think that he would always show victory. And that He would always be shining through His victorious people. He does. But we don't always see it that way. Um, We know He's doing His thing. And it is for His glory. And it's for our good. Uh, We noticed back in verse 34 where we were at last week, uh, they quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Okay, there is something you say, victory, yes! You know, we love victory, don't we? But we look at our verse 37 today. It says they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. Now I know this could sound really kind of down. Um, It's almost discouraging as you look at this, but I hope this really lifts us up. Because we all have down days. We always have certain times that are maybe a day of depression or we're just not as up as we we would like to be. And so this brings in the reality of what faith is. If somebody says, okay, you become Christian and from here on out till Christ comes back, everything's going to go perfect and everything that you want is going to happen to you. And we'd all join that crowd, wouldn't we? where's, Where's the list? Let me sign it right now. You know, we'd do that, wouldn't we? Uh, John first. (laughs) 
But the thing is, we know that that is not true. So it's good to have encouragement from even people that have gone through things like we go through, or maybe even worse. And we can say, well, if they made it through to Christ, even though they didn't even live, they died, but yeah, but where are they at? They're with Christ, right? So there's an obvious contrast between the sword that people were delivered from and in verse 37, which is our text today, where people were not delivered from. And you can say, God, man, you could really show off your power and your glory if we were triumphant that way all the time, if you would always take the sword and have it delivered from us, you know, or whatever that may be. Wouldn't that be great? Well, we live in the 20th century. 20th century is... Well, no, we don't. This is the 21st century. Excuse me. I'm going back to the old days, right, Bob? It's hard for me to say the 21st century. It's been 17 years now, and I haven't gotten it right yet. The rest of the story, the 21st century. Thank you, Julia. Man, you don't know how thankful I am for that. Can you guys excuse me for a moment? That is living water because now all of a sudden my throat is working a little bit better. So, what we have here is women received back their dead by resurrection. Well, it's negative in that they're dead means there was a death, they died, but they came back to life though. And of course, you can think of that even at the time of uh, Jesus where there were cases of that. But that happened in the Old Testament. That's really what we've been featuring on in the book of Hebrews. As Jewish people would be reading this letter, they would understand many of these things probably much better than, than, than us. So there's a phrase here that speaks of especially two particular women whose children had died and they were revived. A remarkable thing, Right? And how could the people in, of the Old Testament uh, or people that knew the Old Testament forget about that? There was one widow of Zarephath, if you remember. And this uh, involved the story uh, of the prophet Elijah. And there was a period of great drought. And of course, Elijah is there and she has just one last meal to have. And uh, Elijah wants that meal. Elijah eats the meal while her and her uh, son are thinking, okay, we're not going to eat anymore. Uh, And Elijah prophesied that her generosity would be rewarded with replenishment from the Lord. She would just keep going into that barrel and digging out what she needed to eat for the day from there on out. So what happened though, the woman's son became ill and he died. And Elijah prayed, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The woman's son came back to life. The boy rose from the dead. You know that story. The prayer was heard, wasn't it? So women received back their dead by resurrection. There was another story of the Shunammite woman. This was the prophet Elijah who was involved with this story. At first, she was unable to bear children. How often does that happen throughout the Old Testament? 
And of course, Elisha is involved with that. And he prophesied that she would have a son within the year. She did. God has a plan on all this. The prophecy came true. He became grown, grew up, and he died. Just unexpectedly. I don't know where he dies. Well, she goes and finds Elisha at Mount Carmel. He speaks to a uh, I mean, she speaks to him and tells him what the story is. Elisha's faith matches hers. They both believe in God. And the son was restored to her mother, to his mother. That's that's incredible. There are two stories there. Elijah and Elisha and the sons having a resurrection. But it's interesting as you go through this verse 35, and that is a victory, isn't it? And you say, that's the kind of God that I want. And that's the kind of God that we have. And He can do that. But does He do it all the time? No. Does He do it every once in a while? Not usually. Matter of fact, it's very rare. That's why it's called a miracle. Miracles happen because it's out of the ordinary. If you had miracles happen every day, they wouldn't be miracles. They would be ordinary. That's the way that God ordinarily works. But God is not a God that we can pinhole and put in that He... Okay, He did that for those ladies there. Then every mother's son who dies will then be resurrected. And that would be great. But that doesn't usually happen. Uh, God and His providence had uh, a lot in that story. But the thing is, is that it's really pointing to a better resurrection. Look at the end of 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Yes! And others were tortured. Not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. A better resurrection? Yeah, a better resurrection than those two boys that came back to life. Because you know what happened to those two boys later on as they got old? They had to die. And later, there will be a resurrection for them that's better. But that was great that they were able to come back to life. But there is something that's better, and that's pointed out right here in in this verse. Isn't that um, encouraging to us, really? It gets into the negative side. There are people that are tortured, but they die and they obtain a better resurrection, one that is everlasting, a forward-looking faith. Now, people of faith sometimes go through intense suffering. You can see it in the New Testament. You can see it throughout church history, first century 2nd century, right on through, all the way through church history. Of course, how many have read Fox's Book of Martyrs? Many of you read that book, and you know the story on that. And it is just a follow-up to Hebrews 11 here, of many who lost their lives or were tortured severely because they believed in Jesus Christ. And it goes on today. And uh, of course, we know about that. We hear about it in uh, some of the other countries of the world and it does happen here but not in uh, a majority sense it certainly could um, these guys that are on the second half of this list here we I get it the first part this this, this list here people would say 
Oh, they must have not had much faith, right? Would that be the deal? Maybe they didn't believe in God enough. But the author says it in verse 39, and all these, having gained approval through their faith. These are the ones we're going to look at some of the situations they went through. They gained approval through their faith. So it's not because they didn't have enough faith at all, is it? This whole chapter is what faith is, and we get to see a God of variety. And we realize that I think in this sense, some of these people might have had even more faith than some of the other ones. And you say, well, why would that be? Well, it takes great faith to be able to say, I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, or I believe in the Creator God. And, uh, well, if, if you recant that, then uh, we will not persecute you. We will not kill you, right? We'll not cut your head off if you recant from that. These people, because they trusted in God, they wound up being scourged, stoned, sawn in two. They were willing to do that. I think it took great faith. I think that's a great argument for the fact of even when bad things happen to Christians, it doesn't mean that they don't have faith, does it? Never. You, you can't see that in any of Scripture. And of course, we look at the ultimate, that's Jesus Christ Himself, right? So, you know... Not trying to be negative here today, but that's where our text takes us. I have to be faithful to the text. I like to be upbeat. And I want this to be. Carolyn asked me last night, so what's it on to tomorrow? And I told her, and she says, that's depressing. <laughs> and it seems like Dennis, all he ever talks about is depressing passages. I don't think so. We've been in Hebrews 11. I think I've seen the opposite. But you know, I don't want to get people down. I want to get people to realize what truth is and then we can be up because of that. Faith is just trusting in God no matter if it goes our way or it doesn't go that way. I'm still trusting in Him. And that's really what we've been doing on every verse. By faith. By faith. In Hebrews 11, that's what we talk about. I know that this is not going to get uh, our ministry on TV probably or not probably on radio. It's probably not going to bring a thousand people into this little building here because it wouldn't be able to see a thousand people. <laughs> I would like for that to happen. That'd be great if God had that in mind. But if that's not what He has in mind, that's okay too. I still trust Him though. I still trust, right? So, it looks like what we have looked at is the normal. But also what we're looking at at the end of this chapter is the normal also. You ever heard of the normal Christian life? Could you really explain what the normal Christian life is? Every one of us has different things we go through. And that should be encouraging because God doesn't make us alike at all. And so when He looks at us, just like when we go out in nature and look at all the different, you know, the different leaves of trees, you know, and different colors that happen in the fall, you know, they're all, they're all different. I think it's great because of that. So that's what he, he does with us. And He doesn't give us half truths, He tells us the rest of the story. I didn't title our message that today. I kind of wanted to. Maybe I could uh, put it underneath that. That's what I should have done. The rest of the story. But I titled this right out of our Hebrews 11 because I think that here's where victory is at. 
men of whom the world was not worthy. The world is not worthy. Of whom the world was not worthy. The world is not worthy of God's faithful people. How about that? Of course, God is going to convert some of them too, isn't He? And, uh, but the rest of the story is God refines us through struggles, through real life. It's endurance. And we look to that better resurrection, don't we? That's always in our minds. There's probably not a week go by that we talk about Christ coming back and we think of the rest of eternity. We're in eternity already. We've already started. We have eternal life. We're on that road. But there's something better that we haven't seen yet that we can't even describe. Is that encouraging? (laughs) That's what this is all about. This is where this is leading to. By the time we get to the end of this chapter, we'll say, man, hallelujah. So now we go to the word tortured. (laughs) It's just just like, you know, hey, I'm hitting you with a boxing glove, but there's velvet there. (laughs) Okay. Preach it. <laughs> I'll try to preach it, Bob. Tortured. Tortured. Some were tortured. The word is tumpanizo. What does that mean? Well, it was an instrument used in ancient times, and it wasn't one of those instruments that you would bring up here to play with us. This was like a great big wheel. And it was a kind of a contraption where you would people put people on there like believers and stretch them out to the max like they were just skins. They were stretched so far on this wheel. And then they would be stretched to their extremities all the way to the circumference of the wheel. And then they'd rotate that wheel and it'd go round and round and people would be standing there with clubs and they'd be pounding on them with these clubs. They'd be pummeling them. Can you imagine? That's the idea of this word torture. Torture. None of us have been tortured. Tortured. It can mean a lot of things, of course, but that's the legitimate use of that word in ancient times. It's because they would not deny the faith. And they knew that they were going to get tortured. They wouldn't banish from their lips the name of the Lord. Of course, as as Christians, we see in the New Testament the Lord Jesus Christ. You recant that, we'll let you go. They would say, Jesus is Lord. Those things would happen. Feed them to the lions, right? All they had to do was say, Caesar is Lord. And then they'd tell, you know, I really didn't mean that. My my heart says that Jesus is Lord, but I mean the, these people were they were proud to do it. I'm not saying hey this is what's going to happen to us today, but the thing is is that faith just trust in God. Boy, this this brings a shock to the whole system. A new a newcomer to the Christian faith, a brand new Christian. If he was told this, he might say, well. These famous people, I've heard something about some of the incredible feats that they did and their accomplishments. And they did it by faith. So my logical conclusion is that 
If you're not victorious, then you don't have enough faith. Could you see how people can arrive at that? Boy, I sure can. I used to start to think that back in my early days of Christianity. I thought, okay, we can defeat every little thing that comes along because I'm a Christian. Little did I know much about the Bible at all. Still searching this thing out. It's incredible, isn't it? You just keep learning more and more things. But, um, you know, that, that really was what I bought into at the time called the Health, Wealth, Prosperity Gospel. If I'd only read Scripture, and I did, because I was challenged, challenged by uh, a guy that uh, I deeply respected, and he knew the Bible much better than I did. I told him about that, and he goes, let's look at this. He started showing me Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture, and I go, oh, I guess I better look this, check this out better. <laughs> um, in our modern evangelicalism, this kind of uh, definition of faith, which, how do they read Hebrews 11 and come up with their theology? It makes them a man. Because what they do is they manipulate this idea of faith, and they use formulas. If you do a, a, a certain way, if you say a certain thing, you can take a Pat Robertson. He used to ask if the laws of faith work for unbelievers as well as they do for believers or Christians. And he said, absolutely. The laws of faith are just like the laws of gravity. And so if an unbeliever believes in certain things that will happen to him if he speaks it out of his mouth, really believes in his own faith, then he too, because of the law of faith, that will happen. Now, I'm not making that up. That's just a statement from him. That's what what he believed and that's what he he said. Uh, Faith is seen as a mere formula. And laws of God will work for anybody who will follow them. Now, faith is therefore seen as a mere formula and it's having faith in your faith. If you only believe hard enough, I remember having a toothache one time and I just kept believing, I know that God can do this. And it just got worse. And I'm going, I'm not believing hard enough. So I just kept trying to believe. I know, if anybody could believe it, it was me. My toothache didn't go away. And of course, I think it was like the next day I had to go to the dentist. It has to be really bad for me to go to the dentist. And that was uh, kind of the thing that I thought was uh, interesting. Um, there's a guy by the name of Kenneth Hagin. Um, Hagin encourages his followers to say aloud, I have faith in my faith. Keep repeating it. I have faith in my faith. I have faith in my faith. He never says, have faith in God for whatever He's going to do, Thy will be done. But he did say, if you have this formula. So he, he said that will finally register in your mind and you'll finally have the things that you want. God wasn't the object of the faith there. Um, he even said this, and this is, this is brutal. God had faith in His faith because He spoke the words of faith and they came to pass. Error number one, God does not have faith. That's the whole point. God is. God doesn't believe something happened. Because He believes and He says it, it'll happen to Him. He says it, it does it. 
You know, he know, you know, he knows it, it is him. That's part of who he is. It, he doesn't have faith. We have faith. We will continue to have faith. Faith, hope, and love. These things will remain for the Christian. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. But we'll continue to have faith. That means we will be continuing to trust him all throughout eternity. Who does he trust in? Well, I guess he trusts in himself. But that's who he is. He doesn't. He doesn't have to have faith. But we do. And so Hagen came along and also said this, and I'm really picking on him. That he doesn't even he doesn't live anymore. But uh, he was one of the first that uh, I was really listening to back in my hungry days. Uh, Hagen wrote this. This is a book: How to Write Your Own Ticket with God. Do you understand what that is saying? And in the book, this is what he said. He said that as long as whatever you want, it's like writing a blank check. And you can have it if you believe it and you say that and you mean it, you'll get it, it'll come to pass. So, with those kind of thoughts, they cannot lose. It's a win win situation because if they tell people that and they tell them then to send in their money, they send in their money and it doesn't happen. So what do they say? Well, you didn't have enough faith. It's a great situation. They never lose. It's on that person because, well, you need to believe harder, right? Sad to say, a lot of people leave the faith because they keep believing that it's going to happen for them and it doesn't. What do they do? They leave the faith or just keep giving more and more money. So why do I go to this? Because that is a teaching that is huge in our realm today. Bigger than it ever has been. Ever in the history of the church. It's become commonplace. And uh, I, like I say, to much regret that I was becoming a part of that. Other things where I was leading down the wrong road. Uh, cultish beliefs that were coming down the line. And there's always somebody there to take me back to the Word of God. And uh, so therefore, uh, as we look at this, we, we see that uh, this is a section that speaks the truth. It can be discouraging, but remember verse 39, "...and all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised then, but they received approval." Uh, if you saw death in your near future by an enemy... An enemy is planning your death and they're going to persecute you and they're going to kill you, right? It's going to be so painful, right? Now, I'm not trying to say, hey, we need to be thinking about those kind of things, but how do we respond in a situation like that? How do we respond in a disfavorable situation? Well, we trust in God. Most of us would reason that if God truly loves us, He will get us out of a bad situation. He certainly has. He certainly does, certainly will. But not always is He going to get us out of a situation in the way that we would think, right? Um, that would be the reasoning though. True faith doesn't reason like that. Because as we look at just this chapter and the end of it, we see that it never works that way. Uh, not the way that we always want it. 
look at this. They were tortured not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. They were mocked. They were scourged. Let's go back to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles chapter 36, verse 16. Mockings and scourgings. And now these are messengers, prophets of God. They're basically messengers. But they continually mocked the messengers of God, despised His words, and scoffed at His prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against His people, until there was no remedy. That was Israel and their kings that would cast insults. The people would despise the words of God, scoff at the prophets, Right? A mocking, a scourging. Go to Jeremiah chapter 20. He's a prophet. Boy, you know the story on him. Have you read his story lately? This is out of the book of Jeremiah. He gets somebody else involved here. When Pasher the priest, the son of Emmer, who was chief officer in the house of the Lord, heard Jeremiah the uh, prophesying these things, Pasher had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put him in the stocks that were at the upper Benjamin gate, which was by the house of the Lord. Sounds like Paul in the New Testament, doesn't it? He was beaten. He was put in stocks. Look at verse 7. Same chapter. Jeremiah complained about it a little bit. <laughs> Oh Lord, You have deceived me, and I was deceived. You have overcome me and prevailed. I have become a what? A laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me because he stood up for God. He spoke the words of God. He spoke ancient words to people. They mocked him, scourged him. Jeremiah. Wow. They placed him in bonds and prison. I think that he went through just about all that one could go through, this Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, right? He was tortured. He was chained up. He was imprisoned. He was thrown into a pit. Look in Jeremiah chapter 38. He just tells the truth. Keeps telling the truth and they say, we don't want to hear that. We want to hear our own prophets. We want to hear good stuff. All positive. He's warned them God is going to not deliver them from the wrath to come. Verse 4, it says, Then the official said to the king, Now let this man be put to death, this Jeremiah, inasmuch as he is discouraging the men of war who are left in the city and all the people by speaking such words to them, for this man is not seeking the well-being of this people, but rather their harm. Now this is Jeremiah who spoke the Word of God, right? So King Zedekiah said, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. Okay, hey, I can't do anything about it. You guys do whatever you got to (laughs) do. Then they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Maljicha, the king's son, which was in the court of the guardhouse, and they let Jeremiah down with ropes 
on the cistern there was no water but only mud. Jeremiah sank into the mud. Boy, that's humiliating, isn't it? They let him down in ropes. This is a man of God. This is the man of God who's speaking the truth to the people. And they put him down in the mud. No water, nothing there. He winds up being delivered out of that mess uh, with some help and fake ropes, you know, whatever they could get a hold of and tied them together and brought him up out of there. That's absolutely humiliating. Can you identify with humiliated Christians? <laughs> have you ever been humiliated because of your faith? I bet you have. Maybe not like that, but there were back to our Hebrews, there were deaths by stoning. People sawn in too. That's incredible. God, why are you doing these things to your people? There were deaths by stoning. Um People saw him too. That's referring to um, Isaiah, probably. The story goes like this: that uh, there was King Manasseh. He was wicked. He was evil. He's the one that killed the prophet Isaiah. He sawed him in two, as a tradition goes. What he had done was he had denounced this evil, wicked king Manasseh, and then he fled to the forest, hid in a cedar tree. And then he was later found in that cedar tree. And then he was later executed within that same tree when it was sawn in two with him in it. That was Isaiah, as the story goes. You can't find that particular in Scripture, but uh, many of the people knew that. So they know what he's talking about, these Hebrew people. The stories that they had weren't necessarily always in Scripture, but the tradition uh, you know, kept... Uh, going through. Um, so there, there's a story about being sawn in two. They were tempted. Uh, the word for tempted there is better. Tested. They were tested. The torture of being tested. They were pressured to deny God. That's really what it was. They were tested to the fact of denying God. We, you know, we, we could see how that could really you know, happen very easily. Uh, this doesn't sound like a triumphant level, does it? It is. It really is. These people suffered death. Uh, and then some of them, even though they didn't die, look at this, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Some of them went about in their sheepskins, their goat skins. Uh, of course, prophets would wear rough kind of uh, clothing that came from animals. Sometimes that wouldn't necessarily be bad, but it was kind of in a humiliating way. Whatever they, they could get their hands on uh, that they would use for clothes. They were afflicted, ill-treated, mistreated. Um, they were treated with evil force. Mistreated, uh, as the, the word goes here. Um, some of them wandered in the deserts, the mountains. They hid in caves. They hid in holes in the ground. Uh, of course, you can think of David. He wound up being chased by King Saul and he would be in caves a lot, wouldn't he? Uh, let's go to 1 Kings 18, verse 4.
So, um, this is Elijah, Ahab, verse 2. He went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. Ahab called Obadiah, who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For when Jezebel destroyed the prophets of the Lord, Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and provided them with bread and water. So there was one guy taking care of them. They, they hid in caves. Uh, chapter 19 of First Kings, verse 9. This is Elijah. He's fleeing from Jezebel. Remember when he had that great mountaintop experience? Beat the prophets of Baal. Just destroyed them, you know. And Alright, victory. The next thing you know, he's running away from Jezebel. And in verse 9, Then he came there to a cave and lodged there. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing in this cave? Of course, he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. The sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets, and the sword alone. I alone am left. It's just me. They seek my life to take it away. How many other people are believers out there? Did he have something? The Lord have 7,000? Anyway, he was hiding in a cave. There were wanderers. They were put out of society. There were vagabonds. They just existed. It wasn't that they were able to get the gospel out or anything. They were just hiding for their lives. Wandering around in these rough animal skins, going into caves, out in the desert, hiding behind cactuses, going up into the mountains. Today you have people that uh, actually walk dusty miles from one shelter or from one camp to another that are believers. Uh, Usually the Muslims are tracking them down. And that is very real. All over the Arab nations we know that that happens. These are our brothers and sisters. Some of this same stuff is happening today. And... uh, Somebody wants to take a health, wealth gospel to the people of Africa. Say what? (laughs) They don't understand. They're doing great to get a drink of water. That's clean water. And there they are. Hey, you know, listen. If uh, if you believe enough in your own faith, did you know you can get a helicopter and get out of here? You know, (laughs) that doesn't work there. It's only in America. Probably only in America. No, it does spread in other places too. I'm hitting hard on that because this is one of the best texts that challenges that. It certainly woke me up when I read this. So there's all sorts of kind of faith there, isn't it? Um, When you have it all, great. When you lose it all, praise God. That's kind of the message. Now, you have original readers here that read this for the first time of who the writer was writing to. Did you know that they had found themselves in the exact same situation as some of these? As as it talks about the scourgings of chains and imprisonments. Um, You can look in chapter 10, verse 32 through 34, how some of this had already kind of started. 
But remember the former days when after being enlightened, after you first heard the truth, and he's telling this to believers and unbelievers here, you endured a great conflict of sufferings. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. Partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. So, whenever he was writing this and putting this all down, they knew exactly what he was talking about. Some of them had already gone through this themselves. Pretty striking, isn't it? Well, that's the first part of this. We go to verse 38 and 39. And I think a good thought on this is, what can we learn from all this suffering then? Because I don't like to talk about suffering too much. You know, go on and on and on about it. You can overdo it. There's a balance. There's a whole counsel of God. When it's there, we talk about it, right? Do those who suffer have less faith? What can we take home on that? Do we have that lesson down? Just because people suffer, do they have less faith than somebody that has a bold faith. Not necessarily, right? Um, Sometimes God sustains His people through some of the most horrendous suffering that they could ever go through. Were those who suffered less triumphant? And here's where we start getting a different view of what triumphant is. We turn to Romans 8, 36 and 37. Folks, thank you for staying with me on this because I know it sounds very discouraging and depressed. Are you guys depressed and discouraged? (laughs) This really should encourage us. And by the time we get through verse 38 and 39, we will be. But we say these things because we have to. It's there. It's for our own good. Romans 8 is one of the most encouraging chapters. It's a gold mine. It's a diamond It just sticks out like beauty. And Romans 8, as you near the end of that chapter, at verse 36, says this, Just as it is written, Oh, let's look at verse 35, though, first. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation? No. Distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? Well, I don't know about that one. (laughs) Peril or sword? And here we go. This is a quote out of the Old Testament. Just as it is written, for your sake, Paul writes this out of the Old, but he's quoting Old Testament. We are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Does that remind you of Isaiah 53? Sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, here we go folks, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. So no matter where one is at, this end of the spectrum, this end of the spectrum, we are overwhelmingly conquerors. We are more than conquerors. We are more than victors. We are more than Nike. We 
overconquer Christians. Yes. And Paul is saying, for your sake, yes, we're being persecuted even to the point of death. We're considered a sheep to the slaughter, Paul said. Just like in Isaiah 53, it says, all we like sheep are led astray. It's, and it's almost like there, there's a there's a slaughtering in in uh, in in our sense. Of course, I can I can think here in in verse 36 out of the out of the Psalms 44:22 where he's really quoting that. But I think about the the sheep. We're going our own way anyway. But persecution is what he's talking about here. This is not brought about by our own, but it's about by other considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And of course, God took Paul all the way through his ministry. So, were those who suffered less triumphant? No. He just pointed out in the verse before, in verse 35 and 36, and then you see 37 were overwhelmingly conquerors. Were those who suffered loved less by God? No. Matter of fact, He loves them all the same way. He loves them with the most kind of love that anyone could ever have, that God could ever have. It's the ultimate love. And His love never changes from day to day. He loves us a little less today because of the way we performed. But tomorrow, He loves us a little more because we did everything for His glory. No, He loves us even at our lowest points. Is that hard to imagine? Absolute, perfect God love. Every moment, no matter what we do for His he loves us with the same kind of love. That staggers me. You know, our love can go up and down for people, although it should be an agape love, a, a, a constant love. But you know, we, we think a little bit less of people if they treat us less, right? So amazing. This God is amazing. Go back to Romans eight, verse thirty-nine. He's talking about nothing will separate us. Nothing, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a great God. Could God have prevented their suffering? Could He have prevented it? Absolutely. If He's sovereign, He can make it stop anytime. And He does. Sometimes He lets it go. And there are a lot of reasons why. Reasons that we can't even imagine. Why does God allow suffering? We know one reason is that's how we grow, but there's much more to than that. And we could go on and on. We could just have a whole message in that. I just give the answer to it and move on. And we've already we're kind of even working with that, you know, in, in, in our Bible study, but in a little bit different way. Because that's one of the maybe main questions that the unbelieving world out there today has. If God is a good God and a powerful God, why? Would He allow suffering? And I bet you every one of you guys have had that, haven't you? If you talk to unbelievers, you'll get that one. And that's what we're dealing with um, in, on our Tuesday night Bible study. We're giving the objections to the Christian faith. And we kind of worked on that last Tuesday night. And I think we are still there to kind of work on that. And believe me, there are a lot of reasons why. The more and more you look at it. So I cannot even start with this, with our time I just about closed out here to give that why. But that leads you in to the point, if you want to know some of those answers to give, be here Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. By the way, 
something that would be interesting and put it into your heads. Would 6 o'clock be good for all of you? Would 6 o'clock work if we did that? Put it into your heads. Put it into our thoughts. It might be better because some people have to get up earlier of a morning. Real early. And that's okay. And there are other things happening. But if 6 o'clock would help, put there. I might be saying something out of turn. It may not even work at all. But just an interesting thought. The world is not worthy of such heroes of faith. The world is not worthy, it says in Hebrews, of whom the world was not worthy. That's in verse 38. Think about it. How the Bible so often turns the world's thinking on its head. The world is upside down. Christians are not. God is certainly not. But they are the very ones that think of Christians as being backward, as primitive. Uh, We are a perpetual thorn to society because of some of the things that we believe. And we are conservative thinkers if we are biblical. And so therefore, it really sets the political realm in an upheaval. They don't know what to do with Christians. (laughs) Don't know what to do with us. We're seen as not worthy of this world. And yet, Scripture says this, of whom the world was not worthy. That's who Christians are. They're not worthy of God's people. Even though we fall far short in our own lives and in our sin... At the same time, we are God's people. We're His family. And the world is not worthy of that. But, we also say, there are many of those that can also come to Christ as God would draw them, as He would use us. So why do they do this? This kind of terrible treatment. The mockings, the scourgings, the chains, the imprisonment, stone being sawn in two, sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. Why? So that they would receive a better resurrection. So what? What's the worst they can do to me? Kill me. What happens if I get killed? Trust in God. I went to an extreme when I said that. But that's what it finally comes down to is that we have a better resurrection. Most of us will probably live the long, full life that we're here. Maybe, maybe not. But the fact is, if we are trusting in God at the time that the Lord takes us, I think it's a great testimony and a witness to the Lord. Don't you guys think it? That's why we, we saw dying by faith earlier in this chapter. The ones who um, were at their deathbed and giving a blessing because of that promise that God already made. Wow. Having faith even at the time of death. What kind of life can we expect in this world? 
Turn to 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at what? At the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory, there's the resurrection, you may rejoice with exultation. There is the rest of the story. Uh, we can expect to actively fight against the kingdom out there because the kingdom of this world will fight against the kingdom of God. Always has. There's a higher explanation for all the suffering or deliverance that we don't get or the deliverance that we do get or the pleasure that we do get. It's about trusting God. If you live by faith or you die by faith, God will take care of you as you trust in Him. He always does take care. That's simple, basic Christianity 101, isn't it? But boy, isn't it good to be reminded of that? About His grace. Well, number three, and we close with this. The author summarizes the entire argument of living by faith. Here, right here in Hebrews 11, the last two verses. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, God said, You're in. You're mine. Way to go, faithful one. They didn't receive what was promised. What? What? They didn't get the reward? Well, actually. In one sense, they did. But in another sense, no. Because Christ hadn't come to the cross yet. And that's really where the Old Covenant, which is really pointing to the New Covenant, which is where people enter into, as pointing to the cross, we look back and point to the cross, don't we? It's there. It's there in the middle. That's the summary. That's what teaching about faith is all about. The famous, the not so famous, the victors, the persecuted, they were noticed by God of their faith. And He rewards them. They, the ones who didn't receive that promise fully, it doesn't happen until we are around. Matter of fact, we're still waiting for the ultimate fulfillment, aren't we? the resurrected, glorified bodies. We're so blessed though to live in this age of fulfillment in where we can look back. The cross has been done. Christ accomplished the work. Uh, He's the perfect one. We come through Him. He is the access and He opens it up. The old covenant couldn't give that. It pointed it to the people to the cross. But... uh, They lived by faith in something they couldn't see, but they knew it would happen. Faith is what that is, isn't it? Not being able to see. Not being able to hear, but trusting, knowing that it will happen. Old Testament saints, they anticipated this experience that yes, they are with the Lord now, they don't have resurrection bodies yet, that ultimate 
So the perfect is the cross, but yet it does extend out even further. In God's plan, the perfection of the Old Testament saints was only possible once they are together with us absolutely in the fullest sense. At the same time, we will join in with them in looking forward you know, by faith in this ultimate consummation of our faith just as they did. So as you read this, they didn't receive what was promised. Abraham never really got to the city. They got into the promised land, but not really the city. Yes, they got Jerusalem, but that's pointing to the ultimate Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. Presence with God. Glorified bodies with all the saints together. One day we will all join together. You know what? I close it with this. We should have greater faith as we endure to the end. My challenge is it means trusting in God. We already have faith, a believing faith. Trusting Him even more and more as we go through ordeals, as we go through great times, as we go through challenging times, and we still are believing Him even when it doesn't go our way or it goes our way. Because that's what we see in book of Hebrew or the chapter of Hebrews 11, isn't it? And so that draws it to the close. Do you remember the very first uh, part of Hebrews 11? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction or evidence of things not seen. We live by faith. By faith. Father, thank You for this precious day that we've had. What a glorious day. Lord, we pray that it's been all about You. We pray that what we've done here has pointed to You. Yeah, we come short in many things. But Lord, we are wanting to learn to be people trusting in You more and more. That would be people of holy lives that would attract people because they see that our faith is real. Other people will spurn it. Lord, help us to be great witnesses, great testimonies for You. Help us to live by faith. In Jesus' name we pray this, and only through Jesus does it happen. Amen. We get the opportunity to share...